Welcome to the Channel Champions Podcast, powered by Evolve IP, hosted by Zach Anderson. Today, we'll explore the always evolving landscape of the IT, telephony, and communications channel. If you are a trusted advisor, strategist, IT consultant, or sales engineer, this one's for you. Today's guest is... Welcome to the Channel Champions Podcast. This is episode 16. Today I have the CEO and founder of Caliber Solutions out of Houston, Texas, Mr. Chris Gamble. Sir, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, Today we are going to talk about what Chris calls the paradox of abundance, which (laughs) is a very cool title for today's episode. (laughs) Um, So we'll talk about a few things that being one, um, we'll talk about Caliber Solutions and their opportunity and disruption strategy, mm-hmm. um, Novar Solutions. We'll get into some different uh, solutions such as maybe UCAS, maybe CCAS, CX, maybe a little bit of DAS. We'll see where it goes. Sure. Um, but I, I definitely want to get into a little bit more about who you are and how you got into the space. So sure. Happy you were help. named... Absolutely. Uh, You were named to the Channel Futures 101 Best Agents in the Channel in 2022. Uh, You played college football at the University of Houston, which is amazing. And you lead the charge on so many uh, amazing charity events in Texas. Um, You know, Autism Awareness, Meals on Wheels, Brothers in Arms. And uh, I I did a little bit of uh, looking into the Burlesworth Trophy on your LinkedIn, which is super cool. So I'd like to get in to get yeah. into that, but sure. let's get into like, you know, <clears throat> how you got into the channel and, um, yeah. you know, let's just get into some background. So tell us sure. about you, Chris. Yeah. So, um, well, look, uh, you, you, you covered it there as far as, uh, you know, being, you know, being a competitor, being, uh, playing college football. I mean, everything about me is rooted in, you know, competition. Um, we're based in Houston, you know, I'm, student athlete at Houston, met my lovely wife there. We have three amazing kids and, um, you know, I just love competing and, and, uh, you know, um, I think I competed on the way over here as a matter of fact, at the stoplight. So, you know, (laughs) it's just, it's just rooted in me, man. And, um, you know, my uncle actually, you know, I've been in this industry for 22 years and my uncle was, uh, you know, he was in the industry and he was a sales guy. And I come from a family of, of you know, salesmen, if you will. And uh, all I saw my entire career out of my father and out of, you know, it's a lot of the men in our, our family was, um, they were hustlers, they were competitors, you know, they were always out there, you know, trying to help others and uh, always seeking, you know, continuous improvement. And so that was just rooted in me as an individual. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm drawn to that energy and, and I, I, I believe that, you know, rejecting the rejection that comes your way is, is, you know, is really the, is the name of the game. And so um, we see opportunity there for our customers, you know, when roadblocks are presented. Um, and I like to, you know, pride myself on kind of being that roadblock remover um, for those, mm-hmm. for our customers. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a target rich environment. It's always evolving and um, it pays pretty well, you know, and I, uh, I saw sure. my, you know, and, and through the, you know, through those dollars that are able to fund us, you know, we found creative ways to offer that back to our clients. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes us truly unique in the channel. And it's probably why we've got some of the recognition we've got is, um, you know, we're, we're, we're playing in a little bit different space than I think most 
um, partners or agents are playing in. You know, we, we deal with large enterprise organizations and it's, you know, it's not a transactional approach. It's a, there's a methodology behind it. Um, and that's really what drives me and, and keeps me interested in this is it's constantly evolving and it gives me an opportunity to be creative for others. Um, so, yeah. So, um, yeah, blame it all on my uncle. <laughs> so what was your first uh, job in the technology space? Yeah. So I uh, literally got the, 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 the week I, w- I completed uh, my collegiate career. Um, I literally walked out of school um, because it was, you know, I wasn't going to play in the NFL. That was a lifelong dream. Um, I could, you know, they were offering internet classes, uh, over, over the web. So I thought, you know what, it's, it's time, you know, it's time to get busy. So I went and worked for a CLEC here in Houston mm-hmm. called NextLink. And, uh, you know, I, I'm big on mentors, big on learning from others and modeling the masters is one of the things that I like to say and learning from those that came before us. And there was a gentleman there, his name was Wayne Allen. He was a sales engineer and he was a spectacular teacher. And I just, you know, I just tried to be a sponge and absorb everything I could from him. And, um, yeah, we, uh, you know, we, I saw commission checks that I couldn't even believe and, uh, finished college and actually ended up leaving that organization pretty quickly and helped start a firm with, uh, my uncle up in Kentucky and lived in his basement and, uh, went out and started the process, you know, and just, uh, um, baptism by fire. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I was next link was the, was the first stop and, uh, felt like I understood the basics at that point And then really went straight to the channel. You know, I was a direct salesperson really for only six months out of college and finished college over the internet and, uh, went, went into my new, you know, um, you know, schooling, if you will, and, and, uh, learning the channel. So that was in 19, that was in 2000. And so wow. 23 years ago, um, you know, I got in it and really I started developing my own, you know, methods, my own, you know, and really what I figured out was, is that if I just immersed myself in the content, looked for opportunity to improve, um, you know, the experience for my customers, um, if I had recommendations that maybe they hadn't thought of or that the industry just hadn't presented to them, that would make me unique. And that would, um, that would, you know, build, you know, that would help me establish credibility with those individuals. So, you know, it goes back to the transfer of trust. And I think that's what I learned at a very young age is that if you can transfer, if you can transfer trust between individuals, um, you know, they'll ask you to, to help with anything. And so that's, mm-hmm. you know, I think one of the biggest compliments I've ever gotten from customers is, is they ask me for advice on things that are outside of anything that we do at Caliber. Um, that, that says that we've transferred trust and they see value and, 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 uh, in our approach and our methods and our, and our expertise. So. Sure. So what was the, uh, what was the state of the channel like in 2000? Ooh. Um, Intellisys was, um, was, you know, the first, um, distributors name that I remember ever hearing. Um, and it was, you know, we were still kind of in that telecom deregulation act of 1996, still trying to find out where the opportunities were. And, um, the Mobels were, you know, starting to, you know, they were, they were broken up at that point, but, um, I think everyone was trying to understand that, oh, wait, there's choices now. And how do you, um, decide between these choices? And so it kind of goes back to the beginning of the paradox of abundance because, you know, when there's monopolies, you don't have that. 
And so through the Deregulation Act, then you started to see more choices, more complexity, paralysis by analysis started setting in. And so that's where I saw an opportunity to enter, um, you know, as a as an as an advisor uh, and and help customer, you know, help help with recommendations. And so, you know, there was um, there wasn't that many players, I'll say, uh, in 2000. I just don't recall, you know, too many players. Um, the ones that were there were you had a lot of groups that were aligning with, you know, AT&T um, and the Bells. And there was a lot of, you know, slamming still going on with the with the IXCs in the long distance realm. So it was, uh, you know, and, and then going out and helping customers, you know, cut costs with from off the leck was uh, was really the name of the game. So, um, yeah, it's funny. I, I haven't thought back to to then, but um yeah, customers, you know, it, I will say 23 years ago, I mean, it was the default was you just buy direct from the phone company. And right. anybody else that walked in that didn't have, you know, a, a bell uh, on their business card, um, they thought you were a snake oil salesman. And so I can remember walking into, you know, back in the day, cold calling and walking into companies and literally being laughed at. Like, you know, hmm. you're not the phone company, you know? And so then right. it was like, well, I am with the phone company. I'm with the new phone company, <laughs> you know? And, mm-hmm. and so it was really just became, a, you know, it was educating customers that had no idea that there was an opportunity to, you know, to eliminate waste uh, that had crept in their IT budget. And because, you know, the deregulation had presented an opportunity that maybe they weren't aware of. And so I just tried to position myself as the expert in that field and, you know, it was an education process. And what I learned a long time ago is, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And um, no doesn't mean no. No means I don't understand. You know, tell me more. And so that's the way I always took it. And so, uh, you know, again, you know, rejecting the rejection, you'll keep hearing me say that um, that's just an ethos that I live by. And, you know, as, a, as any old sales guy that's knocked on doors, you, you'll hear no way more than you hear yes. And so it became a game. And the game was, is well, they, I'm, they're just coming from a place of ignorance. You know, that's, and that was, you know, it was my job to educate. So, so what made you um, move up to, you said Tennessee, right? Uh, Kentucky. Yeah. Kentucky, that's right. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. My uncle, uh, he, um, he did a deal with uh, the state of Kentucky and the residual income that he made. Uh, he would show me checks that would come in his mailbox. And it was more than most people made in two or three years. And he got one of those every month. And he wow. got it for five years and he retired and he started racing cars. And I said, okay, you know he's not that smart. So <laughs> I'm going to do what he does. <laughs> I'm kidding. He, he'd get a kick out of that, but no, it was amazing. It was a financial vehicle that I had never seen before. Right. Other than, you yeah. know, if you, if you own pump jacks in the oil field, you know, then this, this money just keeps showing up. And, um, and so really understanding how to utilize that as a tool um, to help our customers. I mean, that's when I started thinking, okay, there is there there's an avenue here that most customers don't realize and um and then there's the conundrum of of educating around you know educating a customer well i buy direct why do i need to buy from you um right. and so that there's you know that's really it's I mean, we're 23 i'm 23 years into this and i still see that challenge today that's what i was going to ask you is like you know what is what has been the difference between introducing what you do as an advisor or as an agent back then versus today? Because I, I can imagine, you know, technology advisors are much more prevalent today, obviously. But 
um, there are still plenty of companies out there, I'm sure, that are like, wait, you do what for me? Or right. like, are you are you trying to work for us? Right. You, oh, like, yeah. Yeah. So like, what was it, what was it like back then versus what? It, what's yeah. Like so uh, that's easy. You know, back then it was transactional. It was like, give me okay. your phone. You know, can I see your phone bill? Can I give you a quote? Let me show you how much money you'll save. Are you in or are you out? You know, and then, well, are my, you know, is my phone's going to go off or my light's going to go off? You know, are my printers going to work? You know, it was, you know, at that point I was early on. And so I was not up market in enterprise at that particular moment. So for me, it was very transactional. And then, so what, what I ended up learning you know, over the last 20 years is that the problems we saw in small to medium uh, are, are there at enterprise and they may even be exacerbated at enterprise. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what continued to happen over the last 23 years, obviously, is you have more choices, you know, and then so the cool thing and what I love about the channel and what I love about technology is, is that it's technology, especially is that it's evolving all the time. So it's a new challenge. And so, you know, we were, when I got into it, it was frame relay and we were having a ton of fun, you know, with the zero CIR and committed information rates and educating customers, how one solution was, was, was unique compared to the next. And then all of a sudden, you know, frame relay disappears and now it's MPLS, you know, and so now I had to immerse myself in, you know, what, what is that? And, you know, and having a telecom dictionary on my desk, you know, I mean, I was, you know, every, you know, pixie dust, you know, I mean, all, all these things that were just like coming at me. I'm like, these are words that IT guys are using and I need to be speaking their language. And I couldn't believe it that there was really another language that was being spoken. And I'm not an engineer. I wasn't interested in, 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 in diving that deep into technology, but I was interested in helping them. So I knew I had to speak their language. And so, you know, now where we find ourselves today is, is that, you know, there is this abundance of information. And I look at organizations and I try to help them understand um, what, you know, what is the best practice? What is the best outcome? How do you get to that outcome? And for us, you know, I used to say paralysis by analysis was a lot of what I saw. Now I, now I call it essentially the paradox of abundance. And the way I essentially define that is, is, you know, the average quality of information is getting, you know, worse and worse. Um, and how do decision makers navigate through that? And so I saw it as an opportunity for us to help navigate. Um, and so how do you do that? Right. So, you know, uh, while, while the, you know, while I believe the average, you know, the quality of that is getting worse and worse, um, you know, I think the best stuff is getting better and better at the same time. And markets are, uh, you know, of abundance are, you know, kind of simultaneously bad for, for the median consumer, but good for the intelligent mm-hmm. ones. Right. And so you got to avoid the, the gossip and the junk and be able to know how to navigate through that. And so, that's where I saw the opportunity for us was to was to help navigate. And then you see, you know, what's also different now than was different then is, you know, the emergence of, of companies like Gartner and Infotech. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, you know, a lot of decision making when I first started getting into the enterprise space, it really seemed to me that all of the knowledge was coming from the direct account team. Or, or, or education, or dare I say, lack of education, was coming from the direct account teams that were trying to sell. And from my understanding, I was always trying to understand the behavior components. Like I majored in, you know, economics and psychology, and I hated economics, but <laughs> I really liked the psychology component. Component. So I was always looking at the behavior of the situation and the individual, and it was like, what is the direct team trying to achieve, and what is their motivation? 
right? And so, and then, and then I was looking at from the customer's perspective, what are they trying to achieve and what is their motivation? And sometimes you would see competing interests, right? You would, a lot of times you would see a customer that's like, look, I'm looking for operational efficiencies. We've been with you for nine years and, um, you know, our, our spend is going up. It's not going down and we have economic pressures now and we need help, right? And um, we need to save money. I mean, I've heard that since the beginning, we need to save money, we need to save money. And so that is just like become the easiest thing that we do for a client is obviously identifying operational efficiencies and eliminating waste in the budget, IT budget, not because they made bad decisions, just because it's crept in again, back to competing interests. Right. And so I've been a direct rep, right. And you have to look at how, you know, we were managed and how, and, and the behavior that, that was expected of us. And, you know, we're paid to grow revenue. And there's a quota that's put on us. Why is that quota put on us? It's put on us because it, it needs to drive shareholder value. Um, but if you do too good, nah, we didn't budget that commission for Wall Street. So we're going to have to really work this out. And so that's when I was like, nah, there's, you know, that's when I found out I had the entrepreneurial bug. And I just couldn't see, you know, um, myself or anyone for that matter being limited by their ability to, help customers and being limited um, in the reward that, that should come along with that. And so the channel really gives us and the indirect distribution gives us an opportunity to, to take the, the reward and the fruits of our labors and then offer that back to our customers um, to offset, you know, key initiatives that they want to do. And so I think that's one of the things that makes us truly unique is, is what we're doing from an achievement credit perspective and, and, uh, you know, how our methodology ties into to that decision making. But, you know, like I said, the, you know, the Gartners of the world emerged um, because of this paradox of abundance. And so I see challenges with their, their model, you know, it doesn't, you know, just because someone paid to be in the top right, you know, quadrant of the magic quadrant doesn't mean that you're going to have the same experience as somebody else did. And so that's, you know, it's back to the education component, back to, you know, you know, some things that we'll probably get into on this call. When did you realize that you needed to sort of add more value than just like, like you talked about trans transactional relationships and stuff, but you know, a couple of years in or however long that might've been like, when did you realize, okay, they need more than just like, you know, here's three prices, which one works best for you? Like when, when did yeah. you realize that needed to be part of the conversation? Uh, when I read my first RFP, you know, and I was like, wow, so they're seeking information. Um, but then I looked at the context of how that RFP was written, who it was written for, and, you know, found out that, you know, there is um, there's a process that's going on <clears throat> internally at enterprise organizations where you have IT buyers and you have procurement buyers. And an IT group may want, <clears throat> may, may see a, technolo a, a, a technology or a solution that's a perfect fit for them. Um, <clears throat> but then procurement may get involved and procurement may say, we don't want to onboard a new vendor. We're not going through that. And so then I saw that IT teams were limited potentially in their ability to solve problems because of processes, you know, that they were, uh, you know, forced to, 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 to follow. And so we saw that as, you know, it was glaring to me that I'm, I'm talking to IT leaders and I'm helping them solve problems. And then we found something outside of all of our control, just from a procurement perspective, that 
that they had different, the procurement group had different motivations than the IT group. And sometimes they didn't align. <clears throat> and so I had to find a way to bridge that gap. And so I had to find a way to add value to procurement and add value to IT. And so that's what we believe that we've, you know, that's really changed the game for us is um, aligning with procurement groups and, and walking them through best practices and things that, you know, their vendors haven't told them for the last 20 years, right? And so, you know, we'll get into it here, I'm sure later, but, you know, transparency is a big deal for us. And uh, I believe there's there's a lack of that in the industry and it's and it creates a lot of the inefficiency and a lot of the resource consumption that's unnecessary. And, you know, there's a better way to do this. And so you look at industries around us that are being disrupted. You know, look what Mark Cuban's doing with cost plus drugs. You know, look what Tesla's doing in the automotive industry. Um, you know, I've lots of lots of contacts in the automotive industry and the OEMs are absolutely going to be removing car dealerships. Over the next five years, you'll see fewer and fewer car dealerships. Well, if you look at that industry, it's very analogous to what a lot of, you know, VARs um, mm -hmm. and a lot of the, uh, the middlemen that are in the way of um, procurement from either, you know, customer direct to distribution or customer direct to OEM. So there's examples all around us, you know, and, and, and people are like, you know, wow, you're really aggressive with your disruption. Aren't you afraid that, you know, you're going to upset the wrong people? And I said, well, you know, Walmart had every opportunity to take out Amazon. Ford had every opportunity to take out Tesla. You know, um, it, it, you know we're, we're a small challenger, you know, and um, it takes a, a lot of persistence to to get through the disruption and again, rejecting the rejection along the way. And what we found is, is that we're gaining a tremendous amount of momentum because the customers are fatigued. Um, the suppliers are even fatigued. And that, that was a big surprise to me is that the suppliers are fatigued. And so, um, so again, in all of that, it was a puzzle to me and it was, you know, how do we put this puzzle together and always trying to think, you know, What's the, you know, drive the successful, drive to a successful outcome for the customer. That's paramount. And then continuous improvement on the back end, continually coming forward with continuous improvement, continuous improvement, you know, and challenge the status quo. I've said, I've said it a long time and Walt Disney's a huge hero of mine um, just because of what he did. If you look at what he did from a, from a business perspective and one of his quotes was, it's kind of fun to do the impossible and, you know, that, that is, that, that, that is me. That's great. Yep. Um, so you, you mentioned, uh, that there was some similarities that you noticed between the SMB and the enterprise markets. Can you dig back into that a little bit? Sure. Um, well, one of the similarities is they all want to save money, you know, right. Um, they're all taking their guidance from a, salesperson who is motivated to sell, to uplift, to sell new products, to sell widgets, to sell something. And um, I actually thought that if you went the other way with it and you focused on the customer first and you look at, and you looked at driving costs down and looked at making rec recommendations around operational efficiencies, um, then Everybody was interested in that, you know, and so it didn't matter if you had, if you know, how many locations you had, 
Um, I started, you know, with a John Deere, you know, tractor supply company and his challenges were the same as John Deere's, <laughs> you know, right. you know, and so, um, so yeah, that's when I started to see that, you know, and, and they, you know, whether they had five employees or 5,000 employees, we were start, we were, we were seeing a lot of the same things. And so for me, honestly, it was like, okay, where is the return for my organization and where can we do the most value and where can we give back the most? And, um, you know, it was like, wow, you know, the big ones are just as much work as the little ones. And mm-hmm. that is true. <laughs> you know, and I think that's why TSDs really emerged at that point, because you have a lot of independent small sellers um, who are distributing still in the transactional way. And, um, you know, they may not work with enterprise level customers. And so that's where I think you see the channel is really um, evolve because there are more suppliers. You have that abundance. You have that. Um, to, uh, to, there's too much information coming in, and you have to help people sort it out. Um, and really, I mean, I will say, I mean, it, we see decision making at like you know, it's kind of if you look in psychology, decision making as a human being kind of you know your ability to make good decisions kind of slows down after 17 years old. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and we see a lot of that behavior, you know regardless of a balance sheet or who they are in the marketplace, whether they're a fortune 100 or what, um, it's still people doing business with people. And so that's really, you know, where, um, that's what we recognized is, you know, that similarity is always going to be there. The difference is, is how complex, um, is their environment now and what can we do to help and add value and really drive results while minimizing the impact on the business. You know, you can't just show up and say, Hey, I've got a great solution. You can move from this product to this platform and it'll do this, this, and this, and it'll only take you, you know, 18 months to get there. And that will be tabled, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's resource consumption. And so that was one of the areas too, that we identified is like, look, if we could alleviate resource consumption in these large enterprise organizations, and if we operated as an extension of them and we educated that, Hey, you know, there's a new best practice out there that your sales team is not telling you about because your sales team may actually not benefit from an advisor, you know, and, mm-hmm. and a consulting firm that's, that's educating you on how to get to these and how to get to this outcome. And so, um, you know, that's, you know, we still find ourselves there today, but uh, it's, you know, the, I think the channel is having more and more and more success because frankly, there's just not a lot of salespeople, new salespeople entering the marketplace. I mean, that's been my experience right. at least. So that's right. quite surprising actually. Yeah. It is interesting that, um, or it's interesting to think about what the channel is going to look like um, 10 years from now, given <clears> that there aren't, you know, as, as far as I know, with the partners that I talk to, there aren't a lot of, you know, uh, younger folks entering in, you know, oh. opening new agencies or, uh, you know, even taking over agencies, for example, like, I wonder what it's going to look like 10 years from now. Um, right. Because obviously there is a need there um, from the, you know, at an organizational level, you know, Mm -hmm. especially when you consider that they generally, you know, IT staffs generally are overburdened, you know, understaffed. Right. um, So they just don't have the time 
mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> to go out and you know right. keep keep uh, the newest and latest and greatest technologies you know keep up to speed on that plus you know pulling the levers pushing the buttons right um, and ultimately the the tough part is like organizations ultimately want you know the the buttons pushed and the levers pulled but they also want to move ahead technologically so like how do you do that um i had that conversation yesterday (laughs) yeah i mean how do you how do you do that with an overburdened it staff and then you know and then knowing that like and there's not a ton of new agencies coming up into the channel like what i don't know what do you think um so what I know to be true is, is that clients will always welcome partnerships, you know, who from from organizations will that will help them run and grow their business. You know, um, uh, you know, where do I see the channel in five years? Um, less transactional. Um, I mean, it's solution selling today. Um, I mean, not necessarily selling, but customers are looking for solutions. They have so much information coming at them now that I think IT buyers, one of the first things that I've noticed is from an IT buyer's perspective, if they're in a large organization, they're literally trying to allocate budget to an organization that can help them make decisions or at a minimum, provide them information or, or analyst, you know, third-party analyst and independent information that says, this is why I made the decision. Whether it went good or bad, this is why I, 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 this is why I did it, and so you know that points to the Gartners and the Infotechs of the world, and that's why we've basically standardized um, you know our recommendations on um, those that come from third-party analysts. Right? We've heard people say, you know, you know, we we eat our own dog food, we drink our own champagne, whatever. Um, we don't do any of that. What we do is is we uh, let our our prospects talk to our customers. And so, you know, one of the things that I say is don't take my word for it, you know, speak to our customers. And so, you know, we make the investment in those um, in those relationships with, you know, the Gartners and the Infotechs of the world, because there is value there. There's information there. You just have to know how to navigate and sort it out. And it's not coming from a place of an organization that's, you know, trying to sell something or trying to hit a quota or trying to, you know, protect their total build revenue. It's okay. What's, where do we need to be from a roadmap perspective? Because these, you know, these, we can't make wholesale changes every 36 months when our sales team comes in and says, we have to, you know, we got a new product. We need to move you to it. Um, they can't go. It's just not, it's not realistic. So, you know, from, from a channel perspective in five years, it's all solution based. It all has to come from a place of, of, of education. Um, you know, that's why our methodology is, is, is rooted in, you know, strategy procurement delivery, right? You know, the delivery component has engineering components to it because, you know, there are, you know, there's the engineering talent out there is, is um, it's global. You know, there's, there's global competition for, for, for engineering uh, uh, resources now. And um, it's hard to keep good engineers now. Right. And so I think from our perspective as the channel, that's an opportunity for us to really provide engineering capabilities and engineering talent that um, almost functions like staff hog. Right. And so that's one of the things that we've presented to customers that were really starting to see um, an uptick in consumption is they certainly they're, they're, they're starving for 
uh, help uh, to help, you know, for an organization to help them navigate, you know, the paradox of abundance. Um, if their employer will give them um, budget, um, then they can go get, you know, a Gartner or an Infotech. If they don't get budget, then what happens? Then they're on an island. And so that's when a, an organization like Caliber can step in who is, you know, we've invested in those tools. So again, one of the things that we've really kind of encouraged these organizations to do is as they partner with an organization like us, who's there to run and grow their business, utilize the tool sets that we've invested in that you don't have to allocate budget to. And so, you know, providing Infotech um, information, providing Gartner information, um, I made the investment. They don't have to. Um, when, right. when we're in poor economic conditions, the, the first thing that went in COVID was Gartner. Go look at Gartner's results and see what happened. It was viewed as a luxury item and mm-hmm. organizations said it's got to go. And so we had it. We had it the whole time. And so it was an opportunity for us to provide guidance and recommendation. It's independent third party. It's not something that's you know created by us. I'm certainly not taking the credit for knowing everything. I'm simply navig- helping them navigate how to get that information the most effective way. And then from a procurement perspective, it was, you know, there's a better way to do this, you know, and, 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 and you know, we tested for two years on a methodology that will change the industry and it is changing the industry. And the reason it's changing the industry is because we're driving and mandating transparency, you know, and if you ask suppliers what their margin is and they don't give you that number, um, that's a mystery. So we have a saying here, you know, where there's mystery, there's margin and sunlight's the best disinfectant. So let's bring that out. Right. And so, um, so, you know, when customers say we want to save money, I mean, we go right to how procurement is operating and what that and what that means for us is that we've found that procurement organizations um, are oftentimes incented and bonused uh, on how much money they're saving the organization. So when you can uh, when you can take competing interests and align them from an IT perspective and a procurement perspective, and we're all we're doing is providing the conduit and the methodology behind that, then things move faster. And so that's one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is, you know, is, is speeding up, you know, um, business. Right. And so back to that, helping them run and grow um, that procurement component is really, you know, we've we found opportunity and disruption. And, and what the disruption is, is it's challenging a legacy business model that these multi-billion dollar companies who are servicing them today um, cannot pivot to. Right. They are publicly traded companies and publicly traded companies, um, at least from a sales rep's perspective, um, those who are employed at publicly traded companies aren't really allowed to be 100 percent transparent in the company's, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, financials or in the deal. Uh, what's in the deal? And so so we've been able to really attack that with our Novar methodology. And, uh, you know, Novar is kind of a play on words, but it's. You know, it is it does have, you know, meaning in that it's, you know, it's Spanish for novate, which means to replace something old with something new. And that's really what we're trying to do now. Right. And so, it, you know, we didn't realize it at the time, but Mark Cuban's doing the same thing. Right. He's mm-hmm. just doing it in a different industry with cost plus drugs. You know, it's funny. I called it. We, we identified our this, you know, this Novar methodology is cost plus transparency. And because it because, you know, these transactions lack it. Um, we ask mm-hmm. customers all the time about deal registration. They don't know what it means. 
And so we're bringing transparency to that component, right? And so to see somebody like Mark Cuban, who's obviously had a fair amount of success in what he's done in this world, um, he saw an opportunity for disruption in bringing transparency to how you and I um, acquire medicine, right? And so, and what he identified is, is there was exorbitant margins, right? And it was, and no one was bringing transparency to that. So, so, you know, and we're doing the same thing. We're just doing it on the technology side. We haven't found anybody else that's doing that. Um, no one's taking that approach. And so we've, you know, we've made a big push in Texas, especially um, by sponsoring the Orbi Awards. And, um, you know, Novar is a prominent figure now in the VAR space. Um, but it's a completely different methodology, all the while using the same distribution handoffs that the legacy business model used. So cost plus transparency. It, it doesn't exist, and we're bringing that to the market. Um, so yeah, I'm rambling. Hmm. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm I'm interested. Um, so, when did you? I mean, Novar. Let's get into that a little bit. So when when did, when did you realize that? I mean, obviously, you follow these prominent um, figures like Mark Cuban, and but I mean, when did I realize that there was as, an opportunity there? Well, a gap, you know, opportunity gap. I mean, you know, yep. you're, the VAR community is a is a a large a large community successful in our space, yeah, right? Sure. Um. So, I mean, what did you what did you identify as like an area of opportunity or yeah. an area where you could make a difference for your customers? Sure. Yeah. Well, so the first really the first inclination was is how VARs were starting to work with TSDs. And I noticed that TSDs were doing VAR enablement. Um, the problem that I have with that and, the, and how it affects my business is um, those same VARs are in, are in all of my accounts. And so when a TSD is coming to me and saying, hey, we're your partner, we want to enable you for success, they're also enabling my competitor. And so it just didn't really, it didn't sit well with me that, you know, their, their, their growth was really based on VAR enablement. And so that was really the first inclination that I thought, oh, wow, VARs are trying to do what we do as trusted advisors and um, as consultants and whatnot. And they were using indirect distribution. But then I looked at, well, how was that indirect? How, how were they offering value? And I didn't see, mm-hmm. I didn't. Oftentimes, the customers didn't even know that um, that that was occurring. And so I was like, okay, there's an opportunity there um, because the VARs have relationships. So, you know, let's let's look into that. And then so as we start, what were they what were they doing? What were the VARs doing? How were they? Yeah. Like how like what were they doing that you saw was like um, like you know, like how were they acting as an advisor? Oh, uh, well, well, I'm sure they do a great job at being advisors, uh, um, in, in some instances, but what we, what we saw was, is that they were, they would find out there was a, um, an opportunity, let's say for UCAS. Um, and then, you know, behind the scenes, it was basically just try to use the relationship that the VAR had with the customer to basically get tagged as the, as the partner of record and add no value. And so we had, we saw multiple instances of where a VAR was tagged 
um, you know, as the partner of record on a unified communication deal, but there was no delivery mechanism or delivery component or project management associated with it. And we went to the customer and we said, you're going to need to bring in, if, if, if you're not buying project management um, services through them, um, you're going to need mm-hmm. to because this is a very <laughs> laborious process. And without project management, you're going to run into delays. And so we actually thought that that was actually adding more complexity and actually muddying the waters for the customers. And we saw a, a, a lot of failed implementations because the VAR was the partner of record, but the VAR didn't take the approach of managing to a successful outcome. Why? Because VARs mm-hmm. are transactional. Right. And so right. it's that transaction, transaction, transaction. So the other thing, too, while we were while we were noticing that we saw a tremendous amount of the, the TSDs were just absolutely looking at VAR enablement. And, and that, that that was a that, that kind of had a competing effect on our organization. I didn't see the benefit coming out to the customer in, in the end in, in, at the end of the um, solution. And we were having we were getting brought in at the end of, uh, of opportunities. And we were cleaning those messes up. So we were cleaning up messes and we were cleaning up implementations where the VAR just got tagged as the partner of record and moved on and didn't, did not manage to a successful outcome. And we've, come, we have found so many customers that, that were, that were in that position. But the other thing, you know, so anytime we see anything like that, we start going to our customers and we start going to prospects and we just, you know, we're seeking to understand, you know, and so when we would meet with procurement groups, we would seek to understand who is your preferred um, distributor, who is your preferred VAR. And the response we got was shocking. It was not what I was expecting. And um, there wasn't one. And they had them all. And so, and, and what we did find is it typically came down to a relationship with an account team, like it always does. And so the best mm-hmm. account teams had the, you know, the, those customers had the best experience. And so that's to be expected. Um, but we just, everywhere we went and everywhere, and even this week, um, we've had three, we presented to a, a Fortune 100 this week and we asked the same question, who's the preferred distri- distribution point? And they said, there isn't one. Um, that, but they said, mm-hmm. we have them all. You know, and, and so explaining the Novar methodology, you know, one of the coolest things about what we're doing here with the Novar methodology is we're talking to executives who've been doing this 20, 25 years. And I love hearing them say, why has no one told me this? And that, like, that's the coolest compliment we get, you know. And so and then from there, it's just blocking and tackling, executing proof, proof of concept, proving the model. And, you know, I can't tell you how, you know, what it's done for us essentially is, is you know, when you when you're selling to IT buyers and calibers, you know, methodology around strategy, procurement, delivery and, and trying to be unique. That doesn't mean you get to become a vendor in their ecosystem. That means you just get to be a part of the team if they trust you and you establish the transfer of trust. Um, Novar um, actually gets us onboarded as a vendor in procurement. And so mm-hmm. we've, we've been meeting with Fortune 100 companies and in two meetings, we're becoming a vendor. And that has changed the game. And why? Because they, they're seeking transparency. They're seeking education. The paradox of abundance is real. Right. They need help. And that's what, you know, for me, being a consultant is all about. It's a help not sell model. It's make recommendations, let the customer make the decision. Um, and then we're there to guide and protect, essentially. And so, um, you know, we turn our hat around, you know, once contracts are signed and we focus on delivery and, and uh, driving to a successful outcome. And so 
cool part about the channel is, is how we're compensated. You know, if you drive to successful outcomes, you'll have customers for decades and we'll be compensated mm-hmm. for decades. And we educate customers around that. We're completely transparent in the money that we make because we believe that, it, that they should share in that. Because in essence, it's their dollars that are being routed to us. And so we, we, right. we're completely transparent in that. And so, you know, kind of back to what makes us unique, unique is, you know, on the back end of, of that is, is once the revenue is billing, once the successful outcomes are met, we're providing options for them to achieve um, credits against professional services, against, you know, um, uh, Novar transactions. Uh, things of that nature. So, so yeah, kind of back to your question, um, you know, the customers are open and honest that it, that it's, it's ripe for disruption. There's ripe for, it's it's ripe for improvement. And so you can just see other industries are doing this and car dealers, as I mentioned, OEMs, I mean, the car dealerships are going away. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and car dealers are analogous to ours to me, you know, they're, you know, right. with the last time you went and bought a car and you asked a car dealership, you know, what's their margin? They show you an invoice. Well, in that in, in that invoice is margin, but they're not showing you the, the the margin that's in the SGNA, you know. And so, you know, when 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 a VAR is, is it captures deal registration and they're getting 25, 35, 45 percent off and there's only one deal registration given to a VAR and the customer thinks they're doing a great job by going out and sourcing three or four or five or eight different quotes from different VARs. There's one that's that it's there's one that has a significant advantage over the others. And it's been shocking to me to see that there are procurement departments that have been procuring technology for 20 plus years. They don't know what deal registration is. And wh- why is that a dirty secret? Why is that being hidden? Why? why? And so and it's not it, it should be shared. It should, I mean, and so right. and that's really where we're coming in is that um we're coming in with driving transparency, cost plus transparency. And, um, you know, we had an instance last week where um, there was a VAR that charged 35% margin on a million dollar transaction and it was just move paper. They moved paper. That's all they did. So when the customer found out there was a $350,000 margin in that for them, um, we educated and they went and asked if they would be, if their partner, if they would be transparent in what the margin was and, didn't happen. Well, there's a reason mm. it didn't happen because it can't, <laughs> you know? And so, so I, I, you know, we, you know, we see that, um, you know, there's a lot of customers that are, that are seeking that transparency and they're all trying to save money. And so if, you know, if they're going to, if they know they're going to spend $10 million this year through distribution through, you know, through a VAR, um, then they need to consider no VAR because it's the only one that provides transparency. Hmm. I think the interesting thing is like you're sort of coming at the the customer in it's 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 to me it seems like a three-pronged approach, right? There's the VAR approach, there's the consultant approach, yep. and you're also offering like some you know, I'll call it I would say an MSP model maybe if if you're offering like professional services that sort of mm-hmm. thing yep. on the back end. Is yep. that is that fair to say like it's it's sort of all those all those things combined. 
Yeah, so we've we've made it real easy for customers to consume it, right? So we actually put it, put the whole process and the whole methodology in a statement of work. And really, you know, the thing about me and what I would advise other people that are getting into the channel is win fast, lose fast, and 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 define expectations. And so, you know, our statement of works, our statements of work um, define what the what's expected of the customer back to us, you know, and um, and what and and we're defining what they can expect from us, um, and you know, one of the biggest challenges I see in any successful deployment or outcome is truly clarifying expectations on the front end. So everyone knows what's required because sometimes a decision will be made in an organization and then handed off to a group to deliver. And that group is already overworked. Their their resources are mm-hmm. already uh, oversubscribed. And then, yeah. you know, and so it, it could get tabled. I mean, we've seen... Um, we've seen projects never get deployed. You know, we've seen customers pay for the same tool with two different vendors and one never gets deployed and, 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 and it makes no sense um, how, how that happens. Right. And so from our perspective, we're defining it in a statement of work that this is what's expected of you. This is what you can expect from us. These are the, the these are the, the outcomes um, that will be delivered. And in that we provide a, um, a rate sheet, um, for professional service components. So in the engineering support, the network support, project coordinators, project managers, it's basically an a la carte option. The neat thing about that is, is that all of those hourly rates are getting the highest caliber talent in the industry. And it's already being, and it's being subsidized by the um, indirect compensation we're receiving from the suppliers. So what we've done is we've essentially gamified it to where the customer, the more the customer compensates excuse me, the more the customer um, transacts transacts with suppliers that have indirect dis- distribution capabilities, which is pretty much all of them, um, right. we're able to gamify that. And so they essentially source that through our organization. We provide subsidies back against professional services, engineering, talent, coordinators, managers, you name it, uh, from a project perspective. And then we go above and beyond that um, as, as they hit thresholds for able to provide achievement credits over and above that. And so what the feedback that we've gotten from customers is, is that, you know, it's, it's like a zero cost staff org. And so that's a big deal. And so we've, you know, we've, you know, when I started the organization, I didn't, you know, I worked from home, you know, and, 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 and I wanted to be, I wanted to find a way to be different. And so I would just go ask these large organizations if they could set, set up a, could I get a cubicle and could I office out of your, your, your office one day a week? And so that's funny how that we still do that today. And so that's one of the things that's really cool about what we're doing is, is that we get, you know, <laughs> we're given parking lot access. We're given badges. We're given, you know, they, they truly set us up as an extension of their team. And we're not in there trying to, you know, be a contractor by any stretch of the imagination. What we're simply trying to do is, is add value and help them alleviate, you know, resource consumption and drive to, you know, to, to help them get stuff done, essentially. And, um, yeah, and so the, you know, we've just, over the years, I've learned that I've gotten, I've gotten asked so many times, you know, okay, what do I get? What is it that you do? (laughs) And so we just, you know, and so instead of having an hour long conversation about educating, it's like, here it is, it's black and white. We've literally put it in a statement of work. And we've learned over the years that, you know, there's some customers that don't have budget. And so a zero cost SOW um, is something that they're, 
uh, it's much easier for them to consume. There's also customers yeah. that um, see no value in, in zero, in, in free, right? And so you have to understand that moving into the organization that there are customers that cannot, they just cannot compute. Um, there is value in anything that is free. And then you have customers that are, I absolutely understand this. We know how to process. We know how, we know how to take advantage of this, and we paper it up as a zero cost SOW because we're being compensated by the services that they're buying from you know the, their their service providers. And so, hmm. um, so yeah, it's 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 black and white now. It's very easy for them to consume. They understand the Novar methodology and how to access that. Um, we've expanded that offering to where we're now uh, moving into a, 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 an e-commerce marketplace environment with Novar. You know, a lot of what McKinsey says is that, you know, these large organizations are going to be self-servicing and, 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 and buying, you know, off of, um, you know, through, through e-commerce and marketplace portals. And so there again lies the opportunity to, you know, the paradox of abundance. When they log into a marketplace, there's going to be all of those options right in front of them. And how do they make any sense of that? And so, so really being able right. so, so having that engine and having that marketplace where, where organizations can go transact directly with a, a Microsoft and Adobe or what have you. And so now the whole SaaS conversation is entered. And that's what's different. You know, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the evolution of the channel and technology is, you know, we, 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 I didn't get into this to sell software. It's, but it's where we're at. Right. right? And it's just, right. we're just seeing this convergence and this paradox of abundance again and paralysis by analysis. And how do you help them navigate that? And so it's giving them a tool that, that they know number one has transparency in it. So they don't have to worry about delaying the decision-making process because they now have to go run an RFP. They now have to go get five different quotes. Well, if you have transparency, you're dealing with the gospel. <laughs> so there's no reason to go waste everyone's time, spend more money, do RFPs. And so again, it was just trying to find ways to make this easier for people to consume it. And so again, so the, the evolution of Novar now is, 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 is uh, standing up the marketplace or they can uh, transact software solutions directly through, um, through that, through that, um, that platform. So yeah, here we are now we're talking about software and, and um, it's not a place that I thought I would be in, but again, it's, right. it goes back to um, we're helping customers buy. That's essentially what we're doing at the end of the day. And like I said earlier, you know, from a consultative approach, it's help not sell for us. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And obviously uh, you're doing very well. Um, there's, you've got a lot going on obviously. <laughs> and, 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 uh, I, I truly think that you are a disruptor in, in a, in a positive way. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. there's, um, there, there's a, a strong chance that you're going to sort of shape the way that agencies operate with, you know, in the next five years. And I, I think the, uh, the transparency aspect of what you're doing is not only good for you as an agent, but for the organization, because it keeps everybody honest, yeah. you know, it, it, it no. forces you as, the consultant as the agent, as mm -hmm. the distributor or the VAR, um, as the professional services provider, mm -hmm. it forces you to, you know, show your cards, right. um, explain where you're adding value mm -hmm. and, uh, 
it's 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 amazing so, yeah i've had a lot and, of look i've yeah. had a lot of good um um mentors you know i'd say you know ron shields robert bowling you know daryl hellers those were some of the first lisa chasen um most recently jeff shepstone i mean you know all great people and all you know I, I will tell you that we've had conversations some of us and it's just it's we're, we're shocked it's like are we the only ones that are really thinking about this and and <laughs> sometimes I think we are. Um, and, and I don't know why that is honestly, but you know, there's opportunity there. So be it. Um, but you know, there's a lot of good people out there, a lot of good partners out there that are trying to do good work. Um, you know, and there's dis disruption came to our space too with private equity entering. And so, you know, we, as, as business owners have to navigate what's best for us. Right. And, um, and, and the reality is, is that this is an, this is an industry, you know, this is a, an industry that is, that is aging. And, um, I don't see a lot of new creative talent, um, coming up. Um, so we may be, you know, the last wave or one of the last waves coming up, but, um, you know, in all the disruption that's going on, um, there's opportunity for those that, that, uh, that harness it. I agree. And well said, um, I, uh, we're coming up on time and there's mm -hmm. probably another hour or so that we could go because we didn't even, we didn't even two. touch on, <laughs> yeah, we'll do a part two, um, for sure. But I, I absolutely love the conversation and, uh, I, I love what you're doing. Um, Thanks. Can you uh, tell everybody like how to get a hold of you or how to find you and all that sort yeah. of stuff? Sure. Yeah. So uh, Novar is, you know, www.no-var.com. Um, Caliber is www.caliber.solutions. Um, so those are two of the go-to-market strategies that we're utilizing right now. Um, and then LinkedIn is a, is a good place to find me as well. Excellent. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much. Um, like I said, I, I think, uh, I think the audience is due for a part two because we could have gone on for way longer. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to get, get yep. together on that, but thank you so much, sir. And, uh, thanks everybody for watching. That's a wrap on this episode of the channel champions podcast. You can find this and all our episodes on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite streaming platforms. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, guests, or topics, please reach out to us. We appreciate you coming along with us on this journey and hope you'll be back for the next episode. Until then, stay tuned, stay connected, and stay inspired.